the summer of football. All you can ask for is another opportunity to play this game. It burns in me. On ESPN 1000. We don't know how many we got. I don't know how many I got. Make it count, boys. Holmes. Flushed out again. Turning the corner. Fires downfield. Caught. Touchdown. Only Mahomes. You throw the score. You run to win. Here's Saquon Buckley. And it's off to the races. The 30. The 20. The summer of football inning. Here's a quick throw to Miller. Good throw. Touchdown. Fake to Armstrong. Run. Book five. Book up to the end zone. Touchdown. Burrow's got time. Launching for the end zone. Jumper. Touchdown. Terrence Marshall. The summer of football with Jonathan Hood. Yeah. That's my dog. On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Summer of football with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. We always give you something football in our 8 o'clock hour. and We've got some big news that happened today regarding the Big Ten and college football. We turn to Adam Rittenberg, who covers college football like a blanket for ESPN.com. Adam joins me right here on Summer of Football. Adam, I appreciate your time. Oh, Thanks for having me on, Jonathan. Well, this is uh, some big news about the Big Ten moving to conference-only model for their sports this fall. What was your initial reaction to that story? Yeah, not surprised. I heard this last night and really for the last few weeks that the Big Ten was, was looking more and more at, at conference-only. You know, The thing to keep in mind is there's so many unknowns, including whether we'll even have a season. But the one thing the Big Ten can kind of lean on is that you know since March, it's had medical experts from each of its campuses on conference calls. So they have had an understanding of what everyone's been doing throughout the you know, the COVID era, essentially, in this country. And so I think there's a sense of comfort in terms of uh, testing, especially if the league takes over testing, which I heard is likely to happen, and, and really, you know, the league dictating – you know, how, how, how these competitions can happen safely. I think if there, if there needs to be some flexibility in the scheduling, there's also greater comfort, you know, knowing that if you have to substitute a team in, you know, you know who the team is, how they're going to be testing, you know, their capabilities and access to testing and all those types of things. So, yeah, th- this, was, this was, I think if we were going to play this fall, and that's still an if, not a definite, I think this is the safest option for the Big Ten and probably many leagues around college football uh, that have had these similar medical task forces in place for several months talking about all these issues. We got to think about the FBS schools as well, teams like Ball State and Bowling Green and NIU and UConn, um, teams like that. You know, they look forward to that check, Adam, and now that won't be coming to them because they won't be taking on these big powerhouse schools. Yeah, you know, that, that part is still a little bit uh, you know, unclear. You know, I, I don't have all the contracts in front of me, but I, I would imagine um, you know, some of the schools will at least attempt to uh, you know, you know, look at those contracts and, and, and get something out of them if they can. But it certainly you know, will be you know, some type of financial impact. I think 11 MAC schools were scheduled to play Big Ten teams this year, and, and it's obviously a big part of the budget is to play those non-conference road games and collect the full guarantees so you know again without having to look at having all the contracts in front of me i don't know if if there's a possibility that some of those guarantees could get paid at least in part uh, or if it's completely off the table now at least in the big 10 
Adam Rinberg with us here for the Summer of Football as we talk college football on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN uh, Chicago app. So, Adam, as you take a look at uh, the Big Ten, what's the likelihood that these other Power Five conferences will do the same? This seems like it's a great plan by the Big Ten just in case we do have college football. What about the others? Yeah, I think that you know, w- w- in many cases in college sports, one league does something and others follow. I think we're going to see that. Uh, there's already been some reports that the ACC is close to having a conference-only approach for football and all its fall sports. So they just announced today that they won't have any sports start before September 1st, which wasn't going to really impact football anyway. But um, I, I just heard from a source in the Pac-12 that the Pac-12 is looking to do this um, or tr- it's trending that direction that they'll have a conference-only approach in its fall sports. I think their presidents are supposed to meet uh, tomorrow. So that's something to look out for from the Pac-12. I think the, the two leagues to watch are the SEC and the Big 12. I don't know if there was as much support for conference only in those conferences uh, as, as there was in the Big Ten. And so they, they may still look to play some non-conference opponents, maybe their, their marquee non-conference opponents. There's obviously big games in both of those leagues, but uh, you know, you know, everything in college sports is connected. So once a league like the Big Ten makes this type of announcement, usually there's a, there's a domino effect. What have you heard, if anything, about Notre Dame? You know, I kept that thing circled with Wisconsin, I guess, Notre Dame at Lambeau on October 3rd. So what do, what do we see from Notre Dame? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that game is off at this point uh, with the Big Ten announcing what it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Notre Dame has the scheduling agreement with the ACC, and I would fully expect um, you know, that to, to remain in place and possibly increase. Um, so yeah, Notre Dame has five or six ACC opponents on the schedule. So that number could could certainly go up to, to eight or, or nine. I know that Navy is still hoping to play Notre Dame in its opener, which was originally scheduled for Ireland, uh, now now set to be played in Annapolis at Navy's home stadium. And so I, I think that Notre Dame will probably have a, a mix of a few non-conference games, but then mostly ACC opponents uh, because of that the, the, the built-in agreement to have uh, I think at least five ACC opponents on the schedule every year. Adam, you've covered some some games that were kind of fluff in the non-conference. You know, it, it, when you start the season, as we know as college football fans, you'll get some really good matchups, and there's some where you say, why? Why did you schedule this? You know, we're, we're waiting for conference play. What does this do for the Big Ten, knowing it's head-to-head, really, all throughout if we have a season? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, in that sense, it's really exciting because a lot of these games, like you mentioned, they're fluff, they're excess, they're, you know, ways to sustain those lower level programs financially, but oftentimes they're not very competitive contests. And, 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 you know, with the big 10 going right into conference play, and I'm told there's a very good chance that it will be division play first because those games are the priority. And with, you know, the likelihood of having stoppages or cancellations, they really want to get the division games in early. So you could see Ohio state, Penn state uh, sometime in September, you could even see Ohio state, Michigan, fairly early in the season or you know, Wisconsin, Iowa, you know, there, there's some really good division games that I think are going to be uh, you know, you know, at least set to be played early in the year because they're, they're the priority. And, and then, you know, obviously having more conference games, I think that you know, I've always said for years, I think we've discussed it on the show that mm-hmm. I think scheduling is really one area of the sports that, that, that the fans largely have not been served in over the years. You get a lot of crappy games. Uh, this, if you're going to go conference only, you're going to get a lot of good games. Really every game will have a level of competitiveness to it. So I, I think even though this is, far from ideal and we don't even know about the fans and whether there'll be any fans in the stands uh but but you know the idea of having you know, every game you know, really mean something is is exciting and at least uh, some type of consolation to what what figures to be a very odd and unusual season
I just want to get your reaction to some of the COVID-19 testing. We're seeing reports all across the country about, you know, a lot of negative tests for some teams and some with positives. What's your initial reaction to some of the testing that we've seen, good and bad? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's been all over the map. Um, and I think we all expected some positives. I think the concern are, you know, the, the places where we've seen these many outbreaks. I mean, Ohio State uh, had to shut down its workouts earlier this week, North Carolina as well, after a number of football players tested positive. And that's what you get concerned about, uh, especially when the student body returns. I've talked to coaches all afternoon about that. You know, they're, they're still worried about, um, okay, th- we're basically living in a bubble right now, but when these campuses start to fill up again, it's going to be even harder to control this. And so, yeah, again, that's why I think the Big Ten went this route and why other leagues will follow because, um, you know, they, they at least feel like they can communicate uh, well. They can you know, try to contain these outbreaks if they do occur as, as best they can and try not to interrupt uh, the competition you know, very much, if at all, this season. So, yeah, I mean, again, you, know, just, you look at the country and there's positive tests everywhere. Um, and uh, you know, the good thing, at least for the Big Ten, is that, you know, other than Ohio State, the teams that have reported positive tests, the numbers seem to be fairly low as compared to some of schools in the Pac-12 and the SEC and, and, and the ACC with Clemson being high. So uh, at least so far, the Big Ten seems to be in decent shape. Adam, um, I can't wait to read your book one day when you're writing about college coaches that you've covered. So Sometimes we just kind of stop asking these coaches about serious issues like COVID-19. I, I saw the Jim Harbaugh press conference when he said COVID is part of our society. It wasn't caused by football or caused by sports. Well, no blank. Yeah, yes, it was not caused by football. It just, he's just, he's just a very odd cat. And it just kind of like when you, when, when these coaches are just focused on the next play and how they can get better from year to year, some of these outside the football issues, it's just kind of funny when you hear, read some of these quotes, um, <laughs> where they're trying to explain real world stuff, just like they just want to get back to football. Yeah, they do, and it's hard to blame them because you know their lives really revolve around that. I, I don't think Jim was trying to be disrespectful to the medical experts, and you know I, I, I think that you know Michigan will will have to obviously follow. I mean, their, their university president is essentially an expert on infectious diseases, so um, I don't think you want to be uh, dissing a guy like that. Uh, so I don't think that was his intent. But, I but you're right; it, it, it is it is funny, you know, whenever these guys you know, venture away from their specialty. Uh, because in many cases uh, they don't come out looking very smart. Uh, lastly, and I appreciate your time, I want to get your thoughts about how do you foresee the bowl season and the playoff? Because if this is just head-to-head for the Big Ten, what could we see? Right. I, I think the bowl season is in real jeopardy, and it's disappointing because we all love bowls and we all love the playoff. And I know the playoff has, has basically said you know it's going to go forward until it can't go forward. But I think the concern is, uh, the, the the timing that you're essentially going to be putting a lot of people on an airplane uh, to travel during the month of, of December, early January. Um, you know, we don't know where the virus will be at at this point in the country and, and, and how safe it will be. You know, if there's a second wave, if there are high numbers like there are right now in many states, you know, just the feasibility of doing that. So I think we all have to be um, open to any possibility this year, including one 
that, that just has a regular season and, and that's it. Or one that still has bowl games and what, or one that maybe just has the playoff and no bowl games. That so these things are all, um, you know, are, are, are all possible. But the thing that concerns me is just when the playoff occurs at the end of the year, when, you know, a lot of these campuses are already shutting down after Thanksgiving, there's already warnings about, you know, just how dangerous it could be in, in December. And so I just think the logistics of pulling off the playoff, at least the way that it's been done here in the first few years of the system, uh, it just seems to carry a lot of risks. The other thing that's behind that's kind of on my mind also is like the number of teams for the college football playoff as well. I think all this could be up for grabs when it comes to power five, isn't it? Right. Well, and then how do you determine the playoff? I mean, if everybody's playing conference only, I mean, that's why those non-conference games are so important for the selection mm-hmm. committee. It was a way to really, uh, you know, separate, you know, certain teams uh, because they, they would play each other. Uh, last year's Oregon-Auburn uh, game was very significant. It was the first game of the season. And you, know, you could argue that both teams uh, either got better or worse after that point. But it was an important uh, data point when the, when the selection committee was, was looking at uh, in Oregon, you know, when they started putting out the their their, uh, their rankings or even Auburn. So yeah, th- th- just having having nothing else but conference games to evaluate really will make their job even harder if we if we if we have a playoff and it's selected the same way that normally is. Adam, if this is going to be head to head, let's get the Northwestern Wisconsin game. Let's put it back on. Why? Why? Well, you don't need to cancel it now. It's Wrigley Field, right? Well, no, I, I don't think they canceled it, Jonathan. I think they, they just moved it to Ryan Field. I think just because okay. uh, you know the Cubs or, or whatever else is going on, and just the, the logistics of having it at Wrigley, where they don't typically play college football. I think that was the the concern. But my understanding is that game will still take place. Now, here's one thing that I've been told, though, is that uh, that. The, with this new announcement today, I think the Big Ten is, is really looking to push division games first in, in its in its conference only schedule. So that game, I believe, was set for late in the year after the baseball season. That likely will be moved up earlier in the year, but it would be played in Evanston, not not at Wrigley Field. I see. Well, I'm glad you spent some time, Adam. This is a big big news for us as college football fans. Thanks for coming on the show as always. Uh, you bet. Thanks, Jonathan. Is uh, Adam Rittenberg with us here for the Summer of Football? Uh, Tyler and I will review more on this coming up next right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. We will preview UFC 251 with Ray Flores, our guy. He's always around mixed martial arts. He's always around boxing. He is our guy when it comes to big events like we're going to see this Saturday with UFC 251. So look forward to talking to Ray about that coming up in our next segment here on Under the Hood. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter uh, at TweetJHood, also on Instagram, IGJHood, uh, as we talk to you here. So we got a chance to talk to Adam Rittenberg on that breaking news. We were going to have some NFL uh, for this uh, first half hour of our 8 o'clock hour, but because of the breaking news, we did an about-face. We uh, wanted to talk some college football because this is interesting news because the Big Ten is going to have all just only conference games That'll be good for college football fans that just that are not interested in the fluff, the the bad non-conference games that you know that the 
non F, you know, the uh, non Power Five teams going to get paid, and that's great. I mean, they're going to get paid. They'll get their uh, you know athletic department taken care of with the amount of money they get paid to get beat. But man, it's just this is so different, Tyler, than what we are used to. Um, and I'm looking at uh, Pete Futak from College Football News, and he's just clapping back at people. He says, my actual, my actually uh, solicited two cents on what college football playoffs should do in a Power 5 conference only schedule world. He says, all Power 5 conference champs are in, uh, the top three get a bye, and the four and five seeds play a play-in game. Eliminating the eye test is a must. Play your way in. What do you think? Um, Don't like yeah, that? I mean, I've always been for the expanded playoff, and I mean, I want excessive expansion like i'm thinking i want a 16 team thing because i know a lot of people love the bulls i just don't see the allure of the bowl season i i would rather see a march madness style tournament and i i get that you can't you can't go much more than i mean 16 i we will never see a football tournament larger than 16 teams but i would rather see that because you are giving more teams a chance to win. Otherwise, you're playing for a top four spot to play for the number one spot. And I'd rather see 16 teams play in a larger tournament right, right like that because I think that'd just be better entertainment for the fan. I personally like bowl season because I'm never one to be caught up in, I don't know why these teams are here. How come there's so many bowls, blah, blah, blah. The reason why there's so many bowls is because sponsors want to pay for them. That's why there's so many bowls. So even as a college football fan, I have my cutoff. Like, I love college football, but there's some bowl games like, no, I don't want to see the fifth and sixth best team of this conference. So I'll be able to pick and choose the matchups I think are interesting all the way up to the intriguing matchups, all the way to the championship games, and I can pick and choose. I have no problem with the bowl games. But if you're going to do this, it's got to be at the very least eight. I can't do 16 in college football. I can't do, you know why? Because now you got to get it watered down. Those I, you want to see TCU in some some easy in some key matchup to get beat down? I don't want to see that. Just give me the best 8 and I'm good. Well, here here's the thing that I counter with that because to me, yes, bowl season for me is watered down it may not be for you, but don't tell me that the the Sugar Bowl when it's not a college football playoff game holds the same weight that it once did. Does for me. Does it? College football. Fan. All right. Well, for me, and, 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 it's and it depends way on the matchup, Tyler. It depends on the matchup. Yeah, but now we look at some games where you see these big time players also sitting out. And if there's a playoff, if they're if they're playing for a trophy, there's zero chance you're seeing a guy sit out. Uh, you know, if you're asking, is the pageantry of some of these bowl games the same as it was ten to fifteen years ago? Because you do see some players think about the draft and some that don't play, then maybe that is not the case. But depending on the coaches and the matchup, I'm definitely all in for that. See, see, if you can't be the college football fan that loves the regular season, and then you get to bowl seasons and be like, nah, nah, I'm good. No, either you love college football for what it is, especially good matchups, or you don't. I can't, I can't be halfway in on college football when we get to the postseason when the regular season is over. That's all. I mean, that's how I look at it. Yeah, I mean, and listen, you're you're way way further through the door than I am on college football. Uh, and 
and that's why you love it, and, and you're you're gonna watch if every single bowl game from who knows what sponsor. <laughs> I did say that. <laughs> I, I said the ones that I think are in, they will be entertaining. Okay, okay. I'm not gonna be. I'm not watching like the team that. Listen, if there's a team with five wins that barely got in, or six wins, and a team that I didn't really keep my eyes on all season, it, that that doesn't interest me. I'll I'll keep my a one eye on it, but I'm not gonna be on the in the hood cave watching the entire game of some of those bad uh, bowl games. We'll see if you're still saying that if we actually get college football this year. Because then I think everyone's going to watch that entire slate of bowl games. But I, I do think that the, the four has to go because it may not be this year. Actually, it probably won't be this year. And then it definitely won't or it could happen in the next three or four years. But what happens when we have six teams that all went 11-1? and one? What happens? It's gonna be it's gonna be tough because who is going to to how are you going to differentiate these teams and and of course it comes down to conferences and the strength of schedule and stuff like that but mm-hmm. I think this what we're seeing this year I think we could see a, a major shift in how college football scheduling happens and maybe the the buy game doesn't become as prevalent anymore and, and are we going to see Again, there's there's some schools that are fleshing out some of these athletic programs. Are we going to see all of these FCS schools survive? So Dick Vitale weighs in on Twitter. Says, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, yeah, he, he asked a good question. He says, just think it out loud, baby. You know, there's a lot of noise about the Pac-12 may go by way of the Big, you know, the Big Ten and shorten the seas with just conference games. If that's a reality, what happens to Notre Dame? If they lose to Wisconsin, Stanford, and USC off the schedule, what's the answer to Dick's question? I, if, they, if Notre Dame loses Wisconsin, Stanford, and USC off the schedule, what happens to them? Hey, join a conference. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, well, I, I get the, the NBC money is huge. I get it. And that, that's something that you have to grapple with now. It's so tough to be independent in anything, and especially in college football, and especially when there's unforeseen circumstances. And I don't know how they're going to navigate that because the ACC, of course, claims them for most of their other sports. And we'll see because I know John Swafford, the commissioner of the ACC, has come out and said, yes, we are going to help Notre Dame out as much as we can with football because, yeah, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship because – it draws eyes for the ACC, and it helps out Notre Dame by filling out their schedule. But how many of these schools are going to have open spots on their schedule? That's the thing that, that it comes down to now. And they can run the table, and they won't be in that mix for a national championship. They right. can fill the schedule with just you know tin cans, and they don't get in right here on the home of the Irish ESP 1000. Uh, let's, let's you and I start a rumor. You ready? Oh, boy. Because of what you just said about Notre Dame, right, about – Hey, join a conference. This has been, hey, join a conference has been the lament for Notre Dame uh, football forever, for a long time. And if you are Brian Kelly, okay, remember there was this flirtation. Uh, No, no, just, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, that now, (laughs) not when you first took the Notre Dame job, when you were like Cincinnati Brian Kelly, red faced and angry. Um, But but you remember how flirtatious uh, Florida State was. Mm-hmm. to get Brian Kelly. There was right. conversation there. And, and, you know, he would have been a difference maker in that program. If put, you put Brian Kelly in Florida State, okay, now you're in some bowl games, now you're in the mix. Um, but if you're Brian Kelly, 
aren't you a little frustrated? Like, wait, so you mean to tell me we're going to drop all these teams off the schedule? There's no shot for them to be a national champion now. No, absolutely zero. So. Because listen, you're gonna you're gonna join a conference that you're you're playing in a conference now, assuming they get somehow adopted into the ACC for this season only. You are playing in a conference where you are playing one legitimate team. And that's the way it is. And, and maybe Florida State takes its step that it's been promising these last couple of years. Or maybe Miami can, can take another step. Or is there UNC, another team on the rise, too? They've done a great job recruiting with Mac Brown and everything. But are those going to be the wins that get you to the next level? And I just don't think that's in the best interest of Notre Dame right now. And this year, I think you just kind of take what you get and you get what you get and you don't get upset. But... I, I don't know. It, it, Notre Dame is a very perplexing question for me for well, this 2020 in, season. If you're Brian Kelly, it's in the back of your mind, right? Like, oh, it whoa. has to be. Yeah. I mean. Because, <laughs> listen, it, I, I'm, it's tough. You can't predict a pandemic, but eventually the, the, this is going to come up again. Some sort of We're going to see some sort of change, I think, in, in the college football schedule, it, it, just the way that they structure it. You're in a you're in a situation where you're Notre Dame. You're right. You got the NBC contract, and yes, you want Mike Tirico to call your games. But the point is, is that you're in a situation where you have to be at a perfect ten to be considered in that Final Four in that mix. You have to be absolutely perfect and have a good strength of schedule. Where other teams that are in Power Five conferences can have a loss, can take a loss or, or two, and still at least be in the conversation. Notre Dame can't do that. And that's so. the thing with football, you can't you can't live that way in football. Basketball, baseball, hockey, you can live that way. But football, especially college football where every you're playing for four seeds right now and every game means everything, you, you can't live that way. And I, I just don't know how how they're going to navigate that. Uh, one other uh, college football note, Robin Harris, not the uh, the late comedian, but Robin Harris, the executive director of the Ivy League. Uh, and why is Joe Ostrowski texting me? Doesn't he have a show right now? Why is that happening, Tyler? Why? <laughs> hey, he, he needs a friend. Needs a, sometimes you need a friend to lean on. <laughs> I don't know. Why is Joe uh, texting me? Um, Robin Harris, the executive director of the Ivy League, on what led to the decision to cancel the season in the Ivy League? You know, it definitely wasn't any easier to make a second time because we uh, had been through it once before. But we also know, again, that it's the right decision for our schools. And our presidents have been meeting and talking frequently. And a consistent theme throughout is they talked about how they were going to uh, approach academics and campus life generally for the fall is obviously that our student-athletes should be treated like students and that our campus policies for campuses or you know for the student body generally are going to apply to athletics. So as the Ivy League schools started to announce the policies for campuses during the fall, it became clear as a result of the varying campus policies across our schools that competition in athletics just wasn't going to be feasible. So the thoughts there from Robin Harris, yeah, Ivy League shuts it completely down and uh, and so a couple other schools have done that as well. We talked earlier about the historically black college um, Morehouse shut down their athletics. And there's a few others as well uh, during this pandemic. 
UFC 251 is going to take place this weekend. To preview it will be Ray Flores. That's next on UTH. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at TweetJHood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. A special Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000 in the brand new ESPN Chicago app. We turn now to our combat sports expert, Ray Flores. You can always find Ray, sweet baby Ray Flores, who does a great job for us breaking down some of the big fights, uh, including UFC 251 in Abu Dhabi, Fight Island for a UFC that's going to take place Saturday, July 11th. And Ray joins us right here on Under the Hood. Ray, as always, I appreciate it. Jonathan, always a pleasure joining you, my man. It's wonderful to be here in the greatest city in the world during the summertime. Uh, Chicago. Yes, Chicago, my friend. I decided to come and and visit some family during the 4th of July, maintaining social distancing, but still great to be back nonetheless. So we would be together, but we can't do that because of social distancing. That's why you didn't call me. I understand. Ab- that, that's absolutely true, my friend. No doubt about it. But, you know, thrilled to be able to break down some fights with you here. Because you would, you would not dare sneak into town and not tell me uh, if, there wasn't, if it wasn't social distancing, right? If there wasn't social distancing, Jonathan, you are my first call. Trust me. My girlfriend <laughs> has heard many stories about how you are one of my nearest and dearest friends. But with the way that the world is going and me traveling, I want to make sure that I'm appropriate when it comes to, uh, you know, protocol. So otherwise, you know, I'd be able to join you at your mansion and stuff like that. So <laughs> I understand, sir. Um, so I, so I'm looking forward to this uh, UFC Fight Island. First of all, we have heard um, conversations about Fight Island for a long time. Like, how, how is this going to happen? Abu Dhabi. First, of all, I want to ask you about the venue, because. What would it taking place at Fight Island? How unique is this for combat sports in general? Well, it's different because the thing is, is that it's you know the original concept. It's a wonderful marketing concept, and there you know I thought it was actually. I'm like, wait a minute, is the UFC really going to be having fights on the beach? Well, I've seen stuff that is they're going to have it indoors in a small arena that the you that the uh, you know that the government and the UFC has erected, but they kind of have their own island in many aspects. So technically it is Fight Island, but if fans are expecting like a WCW Bash at the Beach pay-per-view on the beach, that's not going to be the case. I love that the UFC and they have done so a great job of social distancing, and they when you actually are walking into the venue, you are – all of your equipment, you're sprayed with a bunch of antibacterial mist that kills 90, 99% of germs. And I know it doesn't kill a virus, but still, I, I think it's a wonderful concept. It's about opening up the door for international fighters to compete on cards. Because coming here to the United States, there are restrictions for fighters that need visas or you know, there's a lot of precautions that need to be taken in order for international fighters to fight here in the States. So Fight Island allows the international fighters to really have 
their platform to compete, and I'm very excited for this Saturday. I want to ask you about uh, Usman against Masvidal. Boy, this is this put this really came together quickly because there was a time where you had a, a big card but no main event. But now Masvidal steps right in there against Usman. I want to ask you first about Masvidal. Um, because this has been only just a few days for him to get ready for this, what do you think about him as a fighter and getting this done with short rest? Jonathan, Jorge Masvidal is an OG. He is one of those old-school fighters that has been competing for well over 10 years. And this is his first world title shot. He was actually enjoying the 4th of July with his manager, and he saw that the main event, the opponent of Usman, dropped out. And he's talking to his management. He goes, look, he goes, get the UFC on the line. Let's try to make this happen. He was enjoying a cookout, social distancing with his manager. His manager called the UFC. They worked on some things. They got a COVID test done, I think, late Saturday, early Sunday. He passed it, jumped on a plane, went to the UFC's headquarters in Las Vegas. And then the fight kind of happened from there. You know, the whole point of Jorge Masvidal is always stay ready because you never know when the phone's going to ring. And Masvidal's been in shape. He's prepared. He's ready to go. And I think this is wonderful. He's coming off of the victory over Nate Diaz for the BMF title back in November. Dwayne The Rock Johnson put the title on him, a title that he pretty much created himself. And now he gets an opportunity to fight uh, Usman for the welterweight championship of the world. I think this is uh, it literally, Jonathan, is a rags-to-riches story because a year ago he knocked out Ben Askren in the fastest knockout in UFC history. And a year later, after headlining at MSG and you know, really literally coming from being a, a journeyman in a year's time to now being one of the hottest stars that the UFC has seen in quite some time. Ray Flores with us here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app as we preview two, UFC 251. Uh, the main card with Masvidal taking on Usman. So how about Usman? What what do you expect from him in this welterweight title bout? Usman has a difficult opponent in front of him because he was preparing for somebody totally different. But Usman's coming off of the win against Colby Covington back in December. Smashed Covington after Covington had been calling him out and sort of, you know, really playing mind games with him and verbal attacks. Usman is a standout Division II wrestler. He's undefeated in the UFC. He can strike. He has soft wrestling. But Masvidal, to me, is a very live underdog. I looked at the odds, Jonathan, a couple of days ago, and Usman is a 3-1 to one favorite, if not more. I think Usman deserves to be the favorite, but to me, the fact that Masvidal is coming in six days' notice in shape, but one thing I have to point out, Masvidal's main coach, Mike Brown, who's a former WEC featherweight champion of the world, is not going to be in his corner because Mike Brown tested positive for the coronavirus. So Masvidal's main cornerman will not be with him. But Usman, I think, is a complete fighter, very talented, but he has got to step on the gas early and really be you know, he has to bully the bully in Masvidal because if he doesn't gain the respect of Masvidal early, Masvidal is going to start to take chances and come forward and really start to throw big power strikes his way. Usman must establish his identity early in the fight. If not, Masvidal would gain confidence, and that will be very bad for the UFC welterweight champion of the world.
Yeah, the champion Usman taking on Masvidal here for USC 251 on ESPN+. And uh, don't forget to go to DraftKings and download the sportsbook so you can be able to place your wager on this and other uh, matches on the card. Um, so where, which way are you leaning uh, for this welterweight title bout? If Masvidal wins, Ray, you talk about personality, someone that's outside of UFC that can provide a spark. It's one thing to know these these fighters inside the sport, but Masvidal has that that charisma that can be able to permeate all throughout media. Uh, nothing against Usman, but Masvidal is that guy. So how do you see the fight? Could Masvidal get the upset here? Absolutely, Jonathan. The way I look at it, I'm glad you brought up the personality of Masvidal because he is very proud of who he is. He, he's sort of, he, he's not boisterous, but he's confident. He reminds me of the Tony Montana fighter version in the UFC because he wears the outlandish shoots that Al Pacino wore in the movie Scarface from back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. He likes to talk about, you know, the money and how he wants to go ahead and decapitate people. Uh, he's You know where you stand with Masvidal, and, and you love that as a fight fan because he's always in shape. He goes, if the money's right, I'll knock out anybody who's in front of me. It doesn't matter what weight class. How do you not love that? But Usman is a story who came from Nigeria, you know, uh, and has really come from, he himself has come from rags to riches as well. There's a personality in terms of fighting style. Masvidal is the complete package. And at 35 years of age, people think that he's over the hill or whatever. I think Masvidal is barely hitting his prime. And for those who don't know how good this guy is, this guy has fought anybody and everybody. I'd say that he's more about the Ortugati of the UFC because of the fighting style that he has that's so exciting, so entertaining. And those 13 losses really don't mean much, especially with the position that he's in right now. You're leaning Usman, aren't you? I, I'm, I'm leaning. I the smart money is on Usman, but yeah. if Masvidal wins, I would not be surprised whatsoever, Jonathan. But, man, if I had a rooting interest, Masvidal is the guy because to be able to see him complete this one-year journey and knowing him as long as I have, I think Masvidal deserves everything that he's gotten so far. But Usman is a complete fighter. You cannot count him out either. There's a reason why he's 11-0 in the octagon. Pretty good undercard, too, would uh, taking that uh, Holloway in this featherweight title bout against Volkanovski, who was the champion. Uh, what's your what's your thoughts on this particular matchup for the featherweight title? Jonathan, this is an excellent fight because their first fight, Volkanovski went ahead and he was able to dominate Max Holloway in a way that we haven't seen Holloway dominated. Holloway had the longest win streak in UFC featherweight history before he was defeated by Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky is just, he, he has so much, you know, he, he's just a well-rounded fighter. He was gaining the better of the exchanges against Holloway. And coming into the first fight, Volkanovsky told the UFC commentators, I know I have to beat Max Holloway twice because if I beat him once, he's going to get a rematch and I have to do it again. The whole key for Volkanovsky is to be the aggressor and make Max Holloway fight off his back foot. Holloway likes to set his feet, and he likes to be the one coming forward and using his Muay Thai to his advantage. And with this fight, Volkanovski has got to be the one once again to come forward and have Holloway fight off his back foot. I don't think that Holloway is as good fighting off his back foot than how he is as the aggressor. Can Volkanovski repeat that, 
We'll find out. Volkanovsky's older than Holloway, but Holloway has had more wars in the octagon than that of Volkanovsky. It could be a case, Jonathan, where Holloway, at 28 years of age, I talked about how Masvidal is young at 35. Holloway may be old at 28. We'll find out on Saturday night. Holloway, the number one contender for the featherweight title, and one more on the undercard, um, Aldo against Yan, a contender's match there for the Bantamweight title. Here's another case where Yan is coming off of a win against Uriah Faber back in December, busted up Uriah Faber. Peter Yan comes from that Russian school of MMA, uh, similar to that of Khabib Nurmagomedov, just a total, very strong wrestler, but has also been able to develop his boxing skill. Jose Aldo has been at the top of the game for such a long time, but he's in the midst of a two-fight losing streak. So the fact that he's getting a crack here at 135, at the vacant 135-pound title that was vacated by Henry Cejudo, uh, Triple C, as he calls himself, is a little perplexing because Aldo, from a name standpoint, deserves a title shot. But in, when it comes to merit, does he deserve a crack at the world title? My answer is no. I see a case where Peter Yan comes forward and starts throwing machine gun-like bursts towards Aldo. Aldo needs to be the bully. I see Yan being the bully and Aldo succumbing to the pressure of Peter Yan. High-round decision in route to the Russian fighter as he becomes the new UFC bantamweight champion in the world. My friend, UFC 251 is going to be a lot of fun on Fight Island. So unique and so interesting during this uh, COVID-19 that Dana White found this spot. But uh should be a good card. I'm glad you came on to talk to us about it. Jonathan, always a pleasure, my friend. Continue the great you know, job. And I love the fact that I can jump in a car and tune into ESPN 1000 and have it on uh, in the car and stuff like that. It brings a smile to my face from ear to ear. You guys are doing an awesome job. Can't do that in Santa Monica, pal. Uh, no, I can't. But you know what? I got you guys on the ESPN app, so I am good either way, my friend. <laughs> Ray Flores pre- previewing Fight Island for UFC 251 on Under the Hood. This is Under the Hood. Listen to me. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Don't forget, tomorrow we have the baseball show at 6 o'clock every night after Wadlin Sylvie. It's the baseball show right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. If you missed any of the show tonight, where there was Anna Rittenberg on college football or Jesse Rogers and his uh, odd play-by-play uh, live from Wrigley Field, <laughs> you've got to check it out on the ESPN Chicago app. If you have not downloaded that thing, what you've been doing? Download the ESPN Chicago app. Look for Under the Hood. Click that, and you can download the shows that you might have missed right there on the app, ESPN Chicago. Our thanks to you for listening. Our thanks to our guests that we had on, and thanks so much for calling in for our Throwback Thursday segment. And again, the baseball show will take place tomorrow at 6, presented by Goose Island Beer Company. Our thanks to Tyler Key on the other side of the glass. For Tyler, I'm Jonathan. We'll do it tomorrow, Friday, right here, on Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN 1000.